Looking to revamp your organization's culture? The Small Giants Community Summit is an annual event in Detroit that brings together purpose-driven leaders from all over the world. Our next summit is April 26th through 28th, 2022, and will focus on the theme of Culture Reboot. The past couple of years have brought on a lot of change, and we want to find the human element amidst it all. We'll have speakers and panelists dive into fresh perspectives on topics like onboarding, financial transparency, and mental health. Visit the Small Giants website to register for your ticket to the summit today. Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. today is Andy Fowler. Andy is the co-founder and CEO of Nutshell, where he has led to product development and engineering since the first whiteboard sketch and line of code back in 2009. When not working to build beautiful growth software for ambitious businesses, you can find Andy flying small airplanes out of Ann Arbor Municipal Airport. Welcome, Andy. Hey, good morning, Paul. It's nice to meet you. Well, it's great to be with you, and uh, we'll get to the planes. I'm interested in, in all of that. But but first, tell us about Nutshell. What do you guys do? And and maybe a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, sounds great. So so Nutshell is a, a SaaS product. We build growth software uh, for small and mid-sized businesses to help them organize their business, their contacts, their sales process, and more recently, their email marketing. And so uh, we work with uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 3,500 customers uh, across the country, across the planet to, to help their sales and marketing teams grow. And uh, where are you guys in terms of size, maybe um, revenue range, number of employees, whatever you can share? Yeah, so we're a team of, of 25. Uh, we're all co-located here in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, this is where we started the company and, and kind of grew up here over the past uh, uh, just over 10 years now. We celebrated our, our 10th year in uh, uh, 2019. And uh, yeah, we like I said, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 3,500 customers, that puts us in the, the ballpark of uh, about $6 million a year in, in revenue these days. Nice. Good for you. And congrats on, on the... Uh... The anniversary. So it, it, when I think about the SaaS product or the software business uh, is to say that the base of it is like a CRM software, would that be fair to say? That, that's exactly it. And, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth on whether that's a three-letter word or not. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Salesforce kind of popularized the category and they were kind of the, uh, you know, the, the Darth Vader that that we were looking to dethrone when we launched in 2009. And, you know, <laughs> in reality, most of our customers aren't really uh, comparing Nutshell to Salesforce. They, they, they accomplish similar goals, but, you know, Salesforce is used by, you know, FedEx and you know massive companies for for all kinds of things, and uh, you know our, our sweet spot is is for smaller businesses. But that's exactly it: uh, customer relationship management, helping the business and the the team there understand their relationship with their prospects and and their customers. Yeah, and uh, uh, you talked about Salesforce and and in even getting into email marketing recently. So. My perception is it's a pretty competitive field, even for uh, options with small businesses. So if you think about Nutshell, what makes you guys special? Yeah, yeah. Well, well great, great question. It, it is a competitive space. And I sometimes think about that, uh, um, the metaphor of, you know, you're you're in a wrestling rink with, uh, you know, elephants uh, wrestling around you. And, and worse than I is the one that's kind of under the foot of the the Salesforce or the HubSpot, but um, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit uh, to, to answer that question. I'll rewind a little bit about why why we started the company in the first place, and we, we really had three things in mind, um, uh, and why we we thought that the world needed something better than than Salesforce. And the very first thing, top of mind, it still is our our north star today is is design. You know, the the world of CRM is is full of 
kludgy, ugly business software. It's designed for the managers often and, and not the folks who are actually using the software. It's meant for the boss to pull pull data out of the team rather than uh, to actually help the team sell and um, you know do their jobs better. So we, we thought of design as being a, a necessary, absolutely most important pillar as to, to what we're doing here, making making the life of the sales rep easier through through well-designed software, whether that's putting information into the product or presenting it in a clear way, or in maybe the best possible case, not even needing to um, uh, input information in to, to automatically gather what, what your team knows and what they say into the product. So, so design was, was number one when we thought of why the world needed something better than Salesforce. Um, a, a couple of other things that we, we used to set ourselves apart and, and why we set out to start the company in the first place, that the, the, one of those is, is sales process. We have this view, and, and this is really sort of stems from um, a view of my co-founder, Guy Suter, who sort of was the, the, the original vision behind the product. But you know, the notion of a sales process, all of the things that a team needs to do to take a, a lead to a sale, in a lot of companies, that's not written down. It's kind of just uh, you know, tribal knowledge of, of how that's done. Often, the, the founder was the first salesperson in the company and kind of maybe did a great job, maybe didn't do a great job of, of training how you know, a sales team should work. So defining that sales process and baking it into a product like ours was really important. So Nutshell is aware of all of the things that your team has to do to win a sale, and it helps you sort of recreate that process for, for every lead that you talk with. Um, and then finally, uh, mobile. And, and I know that that sounds like sort of just table stakes and maybe a little uh, even dated these days, but back in 2009, uh, no CRM had a mobile app, and uh, we were right around the time where smartphones were just sort of clicking over into uh, being majority market share from feature phones. And so we launched on day one with a mobile app because we we felt that was really going to be an important place for the CRM to be. You know, when you talk about all this, it just brings me back to days when I was leading my company and when we were using these kind of programs 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And and uh, just the fact that you talked about how you really made it with the salesperson or the user in mind versus the manager. I was always looking at it from that leadership side, as you said, what, what am I going to get out of it that's going to help me? Yep. Um, so so I think that is a unique perspective that probably helped you helped you guys quite a bit. You, you said, uh, Guy, do you have, were there three of you or how many, how did you guys come together to actually decide, let's go into business together? Yeah. So the the, the founding story of, of how I met my partners, we actually all were working at the same dial-up internet company back, well, I guess I was in high school. So back in the early 2000s, uh, we were, you know, a bunch of nerds who were figuring out how the internet worked. Um, we all kind of met at this local dial-up ISP. And uh, that's where I sort of learned programming and how the web worked. And we all got together and uh, three of my founders, Guy, Ian, and Lindsay, they got together and started their first company, um, a business called Bitly. And uh, this was in the days where data backup was just becoming possible to the cloud. You know, DSL was coming out. And so there was finally the bandwidth that businesses could move from tapes to cloud backup. So they built a really successful company and product that did that kind of early cloud backup. I, instead of starting a company, went off to college, which uh, I, I don't know if I regret that or not, but uh, I went off to school in Kentucky. They built their business. And a couple of years later, I had graduated from school. I was uh, running a little um, web design agency that I'd started with a, a friend of mine in school. We were doing that for a few years after we graduated. But a uh, guy gave me a call and said, hey, we've built this company, BitLeap. We, we've just been acquired. We're moving to Ann Arbor and we'd like to start something new while we sort of finish out what we're doing at BitLeap inside of, uh, they were acquired by a company called Barracuda Networks. Mm-hmm. And, and Guy called me and said, hey, we, we, we noticed this uh, this problem here. We want to start something new. Are you interested in joining us? And uh, the timing was right for me. I had started this web agency, but my partner was thinking about moving to England and just all of the things kind of lined up. I actually still remember being in the car and getting that phone call from Guy and just thinking about, sometimes I think back and you, know, you realize like what one phone call, kind of how that steers the trajectory that you're on. I know I, I can just think of those really important phone calls you got during different important moments that you really never forget. So that that was a, a great one. So that's back in 2009. I, I know that as of 2000, I think maybe 2020, 
you actually became the CEO of the business. How, how did that transition happen and how's that going for you? Yeah, it, it's definitely been a journey. And, you know, at Nutshell, my, my 12 years here have been, you know, a huge stretching and growing and had a lot of great influences. A guy, guy probably chiefly among those in, in learning how to, um, you know, not just start a SaaS product, but to run a business and lead a team. There's, there's a lot of different skills that you kind of have to learn the hard way. And, and I've done over those 12 years here, but, you know, in, in the early days, a guy was our CEO, but he was also, you know, taking the business that, that they had started and growing it inside of Barracuda. So Nutshell was a little bit of a side project for him, um, even though he was you know, responsible for this product vision and helping us get the company off the ground. Um, and so in those early days, my, my role was largely a, a technical leader and, and getting the, the product designed and, and to market. And for a couple of years, you know, we were really just very much a, a product company. We we didn't make a great investment in support or sales. We kind of had one person um, covering a lot of territory there. And so, you know, in, in those days, I was very much just uh, thinking about a technical and a product mindset and, and probably neglecting a lot of the other important things that an early stage company has to do. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess a couple of steps along the way at, you know, a couple of years later, we ended up hiring an outside CEO guy was, you know, incredibly busy at um, Barracuda and then on to his next company. So we, we brought in an outside CEO as we um, started on some fundraising. We can probably talk a little bit more about that. But then, yeah, you know, two, two years ago, I, I stepped up into the role and I don't know that 10 years in the company made me even ready for that, but um, it was a good set of training wheels to, uh, to get me started. So I want to dig into that a little bit more because going in your business from kind of the engineering, the product background, you know, from coding to putting something, a product out in the marketplace to running a company and leading that company, what has that been like for you and how, what have been the sources of your learning along the way? Yeah. Uh, of course, the, the biggest thing probably that anyone would say, and it's been true for me, is the people that I've um, you know been fortunate enough to, to have surround me. Um, and so I look to a lot of those folks for you know, the, the, what I needed to learn to get to where I am now. And so early on, I, I learned so much from the early engineers and technical folks that we hired, how to, how to get that product off the ground. But as the company grew, looking to, to others really, really was important. And so, you know, I, I sort of stepped into the CEO role, I guess it was um, officially a couple of months before, before COVID started. And so, in a way, my my answer to this is is probably going to be largely tinged by how many changes the company went through due to going fully remote. You know, Nutshell always had a very strong, I would say, office culture. We we always had offices in downtown Ann Arbor and um, a, a tightly knit team. And to to step into this role at the same time, we were all sort of flung to our uh, you know spare rooms and. Uh, kitchen tables to work from has has certainly been been a challenge and, and none of none of the 10 years kind of prepared me for that yeah uh trial by fire for sure so uh i want to take you back a little bit andy to how you originally long ago before the business just kind of came up and and maybe got some of these leadership sensibilities that are that are helping you today what shaped you um tell me about your parents your your upbringing maybe any early jobs and i think some entrepreneurial background even in those early days before before this one yeah yeah happy to and um i you know i, I should start by saying I, I kind of often think of myself as maybe an accidental entrepreneur you know my my trajectory in life was never to start a business or even to lead a business. I was always motivated by my own curiosity and and making things. That's what sort of made me tick. Um, uh, believe it or not, I was homeschooled for um, uh, you know first for for all twelve years of uh, sort of primary school and. You know, for me, I think what that really did is it gave me a, a strong sense of curiosity and learning on my own. And so, one of the one of the ways that that manifested itself was really 
getting into computers and, and uh, getting connected to this local dial-up internet company. Um, so Alan Deckert was the uh, the owner of, of PA.net where I, like I said, I met my co-founders. And so I, I got to know him through a swim team that I was on. And I basically said, hey, I, I'll be happy to empty trash cans here, do whatever needs to be done if it means I can hang out with you know, some, some like-minded nerds and learn, learn how the internet works here. And uh, I was fortunate enough that uh, Alan gave me an internship and then a, a job to, to do that. And um, that was a, you know, the ability to do that because I was homeschooled was, was something I, I really appreciate. And um, that experience in high school of, of learning from folks who were, you know, building web applications and, and uh, building the early days of the internet was, was crucial for me. But, but I, I kind of say accidental entrepreneur because, again, I, I didn't do that from the perspective of I want to, to do all of this and learn all of this because I want to start a company someday. I, I think it was kind of the opposite. The, the reason I ended up starting companies and being a part of them in, in early stages was because of what I liked doing, and that was solving problems and often for businesses. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people uh, find themselves in that situation, and I don't know that there's any... There's not a, a right way or a wrong way to do it, but I, I know a lot of other business owners who who had that same um, that same path that they were on. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it is quite common. Uh, same same with me. I went a completely different route and just ended up in in business with no design uh, to get there, and and I became CEO of my company that also because I started it with my two brothers and and uh, one brother left uh, about 15 years in and and we were just really three chiefs in the kitchen until one of us was going to step up and take the lead and so when he left that was the opportunity and I said okay uh, I guess I'll do it <laughs> so you know you just you just take it as it comes and and run and you run with it uh interested in, on how you were homeschooled all those years was that what, were there certain circumstances there? How did your parents come to that decision? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I, to be honest, I don't know if I ever asked them. I, I think they, you know, they didn't have the means to uh, to, to put me in private school, and and they felt that um, the, the education I would get in a public school wasn't wasn't what they, you know, felt that it should be. And and um, I, I think that I guess my folks thought that they could do a better job, and uh, I am grateful for them for that decision. It, was, it surely wasn't always easy, and I don't know, I don't know that I could recommend it to um, to a lot of folks. My my mom had a lot of patience and uh, spent a lot of time on it, but uh, you know, for me and and my way of learning and you know you know, experiencing the world, it, it was such a, a terrific experience because I could, you know, discover something that I wanted to learn about. And fortunately, since I grew up in, in an age where the internet was was coming to life, I had the the resources. I guess early on it was Encarta on a CD-ROM, but later on it was it was the web to, to be able to learn the things I became curious about. And I, I guess the the thought there is for for any parent who has a kid with that natural curiosity, giving them the the space to explore that is uh, um, feels like a really valuable uh, start to your your career. Well, I've got to give your mom a ton of credit because I, I can't imagine what that responsibility is like. And it's clear looking back, she did a great job and took a lot of patience. You know, a lot of people were thrown into that uh, during COVID. And uh, luckily, our kids were were a little bit older, so though they were at home, they were doing their own thing, and we weren't responsible for teaching them. And I remember just sitting back, going, "Oh man, I'm glad they're they're this age." So, you know, kudos to your your mom and your folks for um, for doing that and and leading you along the way. I think that probably had a big impact on you. As you think about just those those early years, can you think about an unexpected learning that came from an unexpected source along the way? Um, boy, good good question. I, I, I keep pointing back to this, uh, you know, the dial-up internet company that, that I joined. And, um, you know, like a lot of folks my age, we kind of learned much of what we learned was was self-taught. There, there wasn't a practice or any way of learning how the web works because it was sort of being built around us as, as we were growing up. And so figuring out what HTML and CSS was. And, you know, at the time it was just a curiosity and, and you know, a decade later, it's sort of you know, this massive source of commerce and career for, for so many people. So, um, you know, incredibly fortunate for kind of having been immersed in it at the time. And the 
good fortune and luck of being able to connect to this this local dial-up company and and the entrepreneur that was behind it was was really great. I think you know one of the other things that I took from that and has been huge for for Nutshell. And it's not just me; it's my co-founders, Guy, Ian, and Lindsay. You know, the the four of us all kind of come from the school of of Alan Decker running this scrappy little PA.net ISP. And he was someone who always took this perspective of, you know, betting on people with potential rather than people with experience. Like, you know, look at me, I was this kid in high school who he knew from, you know, his daughter's swim team, who's offering to take out the trash. And, you know, he threw me in the room where they had four other web designers and, you know, he, he certainly had the resources to, to spend on others, but he was someone who always, you know, looked for people who were curious and had potential perhaps to a fault sometimes. Sometimes the company was was maybe staffed by folks who didn't have the, you know, the experience that you might require to, to run a, a smooth functioning business. But it, it definitely gave me a sense for like what can be accomplished when you put people who are, you know, curious and want to learn more together. And that's something that that Guy and I have have brought to Nutshell and, and Guy has brought to other businesses. And it often seems to pay off. Some something that has happened many times at Nutshell, I could I could rattle off a you know half a dozen names of folks who may have started on a support team and moved to a design function or moved to a customer success function, uh, moved to a product marketing function. I've really realized that and learned that early on that when you find someone who is interested in, in what you're doing and you treat them well and they stick around because they're they're excited about the mission and what's happening, you can really go far. And so. Um, we've just often had better experiences bringing on folks who are are passionate and curious and inexperienced and seeing you know seeing them do great things. So interesting that you say that because I remember early in my business where I was struggling maybe to find good people and an HR executive for many years said to me the exact opposite. He said, don't hire people with potential, only hire people who have done before what you want them to do for you because it lowers risk. And, yeah. and he was right about part of that. And it does lower risk, but risk is what allowed you guys to grow and to realize the potential in these, these people. And, and so when you think about the life of an entrepreneur, uh, it's not just risking money, it's risk in that way as well. To, yeah. to be willing to to take people who don't always have that, you know, grow them. You're not always going to bat a thousand percent. I'm sure you would say that it hasn't been a perfect track record, uh, but it's got to feel really good to be able to tell those stories about how you've taken those people with passion and curiosity and enabled them to grow their lives and careers. Boy, it, it sure does. And it's really hard to evaluate that when you're you're hiring somebody to to understand like you know, as you say, it, it's a risk, it's an unknown, but boy, when it works, it, it really works. And so, yeah, I, I think of, you know, the very first engineer that we hired uh, didn't, didn't work out um, and, and we had to, to part ways with him early on. And that was, you know, not something you want to feel in your first hire, but um, the next three, you know, Mason was engineer number two. He's now at, at Adobe. Um, uh, Andrew Sardone, who, who later became our VP of engineering, is is now at Amazon. You know, you you find these folks who who um, you know can just do incredible things early in their career, and, and that means so much for a, a young company. And uh, yeah, I, I still think a lot of that was was good fortune that we found, but it, it's something that that I believe in. And whether they stay with you or they grow somewhere else is really not the point. You've, you've had a great impact on their lives, and, and, and that feels really good. Uh, you mentioned early on that at some point along the way, this small company, you took on outside capital, an outside partner. Um, sometimes might be looked at as unusual for a company that, um, a small company that bootstraps. Uh, what was the reason behind taking on that capital, and what has that experience uh, shown in terms of lessons learned for you guys. Yeah, yeah, and this is one that we we talk about a lot. And obviously, no one has a time machine, so it doesn't. I don't know that it ever helps to kind of uh, try to reevaluate how you'd make a decision uh, a year later. But yeah, just to paint the picture of of how the company was was capitalized over the years. So. When we first got started, Guy, Ian, and Lindsay, um, you know, sort of in a seed investor role or angel investor role, whatever you'd want to call it, first first capitalized the company and let us 
hire uh, me and a, a couple of other engineers early on. And so, you know, under a million dollars of um, capital put into the company to, to get the product to market. And so we launched, I guess, nine, nine months later. So it was a pretty, pretty lean operation to, to first get off the ground. And, you know, after that initial investment, we continued to operate very, very lean. And perhaps sometimes I look back and think to a fault, you know, if we had you know, shown outside investors what we were doing and the early traction that we were seeing from our product, we might have been able to, um, you know, leverage those early days in, in a different way. But uh, we could have also diluted ourselves uh, much earlier too. But, you know, uh, I guess two years after we launched, we were in a position where we were actually cash flowing. And I think we kind of were, were just about crossing the um, million dollar a year revenue mark. Um, we had a, still a small team, uh, you know, three or four folks in uh, uh, support and sales roles and putting money in the bank. So we didn't have to go out and, you know, as context for what was going on there, my, my co-founders were, were, were super busy at Barracuda. Barracuda was in the lead up to an IPO. And so, um, you know, Nutshell was, you know, sort of on the, the path that it was on and, and we weren't really thinking about like, you know, bigger picture, what we could be doing to, to increase growth. But um, we got to about 2015 and sort of, pulled our heads up a little bit. And we we're at this point, maybe, I don't know, a million and a half, close to 2 million in revenue and realized, hey, the company is cash flowing. We're growing maybe 15% year over year. We think we can do a lot more. We were in a crowded space, but look what our competitors are able to do with more capital. Let, let's go try to do that. And we actually took it in two rounds. First, we sort of recapitalized from our existing investors, existing founders, and uh, hired an outside CEO to to join us. Um, he, he also invested and uh, sort of joined with the idea that he would um, then help us find additional investors. And so in 2016, we, we raised some more capital from a, a regional firm here in Michigan, Plymouth Growth Partners. They've been terrific investors and, you know, what they've brought in terms of experience and um, business savvy is probably even more valuable than than the capital that they put in. But, but we brought in that outside capital and ultimately ended up raising, I guess, a total of around uh, $5 million, you know, with the idea that we would expand our, our advertising investment. You know, our biggest expenses were our team and what we spend on, on AdWords. And, you know, when we brought in that investment, we were sort of spending on the order of six figures a month on AdWords. So, um, you know, you can you can light money on fire pretty quickly, and uh, <laughs> um, Google is happy to uh, to take that that check. But unfortunately, we didn't see the return on that that we hoped for. You know, we went from growing maybe 20 percent to growing 25 percent, but didn't see the uh, the the uptick that you would want to see for for the dilution and all of that. And so. Ultimately, after sort of three or four years of experimenting and, and seeing how we could deploy that capital in different ways and, you know, trying different, um, you know, marketing leadership and experimenting with different sized sales teams, we realized, you know, that this isn't something where we can continue to spend our way into growth. And we, we need to recalibrate and we need to set ourselves up to grow sustainably, to operate like a business that, um, you know, doesn't have an, an infinite pool of capital to pull from. And that was, you know, that's a difficult thing to do, but ultimately put us in a, a much healthier state and a place where, where I guess, even for me personally, I feel a lot more excited about the path that the company's on when we're, we're operating with good business fundamentals. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you, you know, you, you chose well in terms of a partner and that they brought a lot more than just money. So that's a, a, a great story to be able to tell. It doesn't always work that way. Uh, you know, I, I want to dig in a little bit to what has happened since uh, COVID, because you said you took on the CEO role just before that. Now you're thrust into this situation that uh, every one of us was thrust into and the business had to pivot and people had to go home. And um, what what has that experience been like for you and how has that, if at all, reshaped the company and how you work today? Yeah, well, well, two, you know, two big parts to that. The first is, you know, in 2020, we had had gone through the work of reconfiguring the business to be in a place where we're in a, you know, a strong cash flow position. We were, we were had healthy business fundamentals. We didn't have to worry about some of those existential issues that we had to think about in, you know, 2018, 2019. So we were really fortunate that, that we had made those decisions in advance of that. 
But what we decided to do was after 10 years of focusing on the CRM space, we had already decided pre-COVID that this is going to be a building year. We're going to develop an email marketing platform and add this to our CRM. It'd be our first time going from, from one product to two. And so we had already sort of said 20, 2020 is a year of uh, inward looking, you know, we're obviously we're going to keep growing and, and uh, supporting our customers and, and all of that. But uh, the business is focused on this new product line. So we got to work on that and then COVID happened. And, you know, in some ways it, it was, you know, fortuitous timing. We had already been planning. This is a year of sort of hibernation and preparation. And so over the course of 2020, we built this product in February of 2021, we took it to market. Um, and even through COVID, we were fortunate that financially speaking, the company was healthy, continuing to grow. You know, many of our customers did have to, I shouldn't say many, a, a, a portion of our customers had businesses that had to wind down during COVID, but we also had customers that had to recalibrate and, and bring on a product like Nutshell. So from a financial perspective, you know, we, we did okay in the year and the timing of this being a, a year of retooling worked well for us. The you know, the, the longer term impact here, though, I think is one that we are really still wrestling with. And, and I'm eager to, to talk to other software companies as, as the world is sort of declaring that we're, we're going distributed and that businesses are, you know, hiring across the board. I've been really reluctant to, to make that, you know, to make that turn. And so even while everyone is working from their, their home offices, we've, we've stuck to hiring in the Southeast Michigan area. And that, that gets a lot harder because national companies are recruiting here and um, people are, you know, creating different priorities. But so far, I, I think it's been really important for us to figure out what does it mean to be a, a Southeast Michigan business in a world where technically we could all do our jobs from, from anywhere in the country. So that, that's kind of two-pronged answer to that question. What are your team members telling you uh, about their expectations going forward? Uh, do they want to stay home? Do they want to come in? Do they want to have a little of both? Yeah, it, it's mixed across the board. And, you know, as you know, a diverse company, we're going to have all perspectives there for the, for the members of our team who are parents, you know, this last year, as we were talking about earlier, has been a struggle for them to, to be, you know, parents and educators and, you know, uh, work at a SaaS company. They're, they're wearing three hats. And so, you know, the, their main focus is figuring out how to, to navigate this. For the younger members of our team, I think it's been a real challenge. You know, we have folks who are just out of school. They haven't built a community yet. They moved into downtown Ann Arbor because they wanted to be in a place where they could meet people and go out to restaurants and bars. And, you know, Nutshell was their, their first, you know, connection to that. And they haven't been able to experience that. We, we hear that, especially um, we've, we've been participating in some virtual career fairs. And when you talk to a, a college student who's spent the last two years doing virtual group projects and, you know, tuning into classes from their dorm room, the last thing they want to do is continue that same, same path and have that same kind of disconnection. Um, so, so there's a strong sense from the mem the younger members of our team that, that, um, you know, connecting to their peers is an important part of it, but others are eager to take on the, the freedom that a distributed um, sales for or a distributed company makes possible. We had someone move to Chicago. They'd been wanting to leave the area and, and move to Chicago. So they took the opportunity to do that. And, and we supported them in that move. And there are other members of our team who have had similar thoughts. So it's really across the board. And, and of course, we'll support the, the members of our team as, as they think about those steps. But like I said, I, I really think that for for us, we have to figure out what it means to to have a place still uh, and to be a member of a community when that isn't a requirement anymore. Well, I think every company is asking the same question, but the best part about what you're doing is you're not making that decision on your own. You're doing it by listening. Nobody really has the right answer. Flexibility is certainly part of it. And, and I think overall, businesses will not only survive, but thrive by being flexible and knowing there's not just one way to do it. Uh, so I think your your process is really good for that. Um, I also know, or it sounds like during at least this last year or these last few months, you guys are re-looking at your longer term vision for the company. What kind of process are you going through and, and where are you at right now? 
Yeah, we are we are right in the middle of that process. So a couple of ways that we've been working through that. For, for starters, we've been working with uh, Zingerman's. Um, you're probably mm-hmm. familiar with, with Zingerman's. They were you know, in uh, Bo's first book there. And their Zing Train arm has a, a really great um, sort of curriculum to help businesses like ours put together a vision. And, and for the way that they define vision and the way that the, the process that they walk people through is, it, it's just like this conversation about um, distributed versus co-located teams. It's, it's largely about listening to your team, asking everyone who's, who's at Nutshell, what do you think Nutshell should look like in five years or seven years? Uh, what kind of company do you want to be a part of? What does it look like when you walk in the door? Is there a door? Um, uh, what are the types of customers that we serve? What are the products that we offer? And so the, the visioning exercise that we worked through is with ZingTrain was very much a sort of um, bottom-up listening to our team exercise. And we're kind of putting the finishing touches on, on that. And uh, that's sort of step one in this, this overall process of, of understanding our, our purpose and our values and our, our vision for the, the company in five years. On purpose, I've really been enjoying, um, and this was also at uh, Carl Erickson's recommendation, uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game, his sort of acid test for what, what is a, a great purpose or uh, you know, his term is just cause, I think really connects to me. And uh, I'm curious if you've read that and, and worked in that sort of um, uh, definition before. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it for sure. It's uh, there's so many different schools of thought on on yeah. it, but all you have to do, like you've done, is to connect to one like that. The Zingerman's process is great for visioning. I don't know if you know that that's kind of where the the small giants community was born was in a uh, at the restaurant in a training room uh, where we sat with a bunch of people back in 2009 and said that we wanted to put together a group of people that felt the same way that the. The companies in Bo's book, uh, and around how we wanted to grow our businesses with values and purpose, and we didn't want to grow just for growth's sake, but uh, we wanted to build a community of people that felt the same way, so we could learn and grow together. And it happened right there over a pastrami sandwich at uh, Zingerman. So, so I'm very familiar with their visioning process. It's a great one. You know, as you think about your journey as a CEO, Andy, can you think of? So maybe in the last couple of years, um, a very tough or humbling decision that you've had to make. Um, boy, that there there have been a handful of those. The you know the hardest, of course, is is when when we have to say goodbye to a team member. And um, like I said, we were we were in a position where the we had raised raised a lot of money. We were spending more than we were earning um, with the idea that that would you know, help us grow to a place where, you know, we wouldn't be in that situation again. And, and when we found that we weren't on that path, making the decisions to, um, to, you know, part ways with members of our team that, you know, through no fault of their own, um, but because of the decisions that we as, as business leaders and that I as a business leader had made, um, you know, the, the role wasn't one that, that fit with the company more. That that's, that's the hardest decision. And, like I said, there, there's no time machine, and I, I, even if I had one, I don't know if that would have been the right thing not to, you know, to be in that position of, um, you know, burning cash. But when it results in needing to to part ways with members of the team, that that's one of the hardest decisions. And you know, I, I know it's kind of an old trope that it's you know it, it's a lot harder for those team members than than it is for the you know the business leader there. But it, it's just not a situation that you want to find yourself in. Um, and so that that was a, a difficult moment these last uh, you know over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's just as hard for the business leader or the manager or owner. Um, it's it's gut wrenching to have to go through that, but uh, but it's also something we procrastinated. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just simply the right thing to do. So as you think about your leadership journey now, Andy, what is something that you feel as a leader you'd still like to improve upon? Oh, boy. Well, that's a good question. I, I think something, uh, maybe this is a little bit more tactical, but but it's actually this kind of thing right here. I, I spent so many years, uh, early years at the company inward facing and, and building building an early team, building an early product and, and didn't spend enough time 
looking outward. And, and even when it was, I, I spent a lot of time with our customers, but even that was often, you know, through, you know, working with our sales team and, and hopping on those calls. And I, I would love to develop a better sense for connecting with our customers and our community. If I could spend more time and have a better ability to do that, um, that that's something that I'd love to refine. And as silly as it even sounds, I'd like the the ability to to speak publicly and um, tell Nutshell's story in a way that that connects to to other businesses. That, that's an area where I think I've got a lot of uh, development still to do. And uh, sometimes, you know, the when when things get hard, you kind of revert to what you know best, and so. Often, when I'm, when faced with uh, tricky business times, that the, the thing I want to do is just to retreat back into the world of of product, and so um, building strengths beyond that is something that's that's top of mind for me over this next year. Well, I think you'll find in the coming years that that's where you'll thrive. Is and and you're very articulate. You tell the story beautifully, and and going out there and doing that with customers and the business community uh, is really where you'll find increasing comfort and and probably even the biggest impact on the company as you continue to build the team. And uh, it's funny, my my vision of you kind of going through that challenge was going back to you being homeschooled that you developed, you know, that comfort just sitting there and doing it on your own or yep. coding yep. and developing an engine. It's like, okay, I can do this. And you realize there's so much more out there. And, and I, I remember in the early years of my business too, where my brother, I just were doing everything ourselves and we'd really never talked to anybody. I had never read a business book or anything. Then I just someday read my first business book and realized how little I actually knew and then I started just to call people and, and ask people with lots of experience to, to mentor me and help me. And you realize there's so much wisdom and experience out there and everybody's willing to share it with you. I, I know you've benefited a, a great deal with people like Carl and others, um, but uh, you'll do a great job at sharing that story more and more in the community. Last question for you is really just based on the experience you've had so far, if you could give a piece of advice to a young person, maybe starting out in their business, what kind of advice would you share with them? Boy, you know, I, I think that it was a, a something that we may have done to a fault, but I think it ultimately, you know, ultimately Nutshell is in a place where we are, we are successful and surely we, we wish we could do, have done better at different points in time. But we stayed so focused on getting our product right in the early days, you know, long before we we hired more sales and and you know invested more in advertising and marketing and really understanding um, the problems that our customers had and and solving those through the product. Um, I think is something that that paid off for us. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there that are, um, you know, SaaS companies that are trying to, I think, jump to the finish line of that hyper growth that that we that we read about in the blogs um, before they've been able to really understand and, and get to a place where their product is is solving a, a need that their customers have. So, um, to me, and, and maybe this is my own kind of myopic view on it, but getting that product right, and that doesn't mean sitting there coding all day um, or you know in front of a whiteboard all day. It means uh, taking the sales calls and the demo calls and hearing what's what's not working, but I don't think that you can do that um, too much. I, I think that um, you know that was something that was really important to us. It also doesn't mean keeping that product sort of behind the scenes. Something that we did, um, we we spent a lot of time on early on was being able to release updates on a daily basis or multiple times a day, um, so that we could hop off of a sales call, hear something that wasn't working, go back to our team of two or three, make it better, roll it out to the world and be able to get on a call with a customer the next day. Um, that kind of speed of being able to solve a problem quickly is, you know, back to the, the metaphor of, you know, Salesforce as Darth Vader, that kind of agility there um, is what, what, you know, makes Luke Skywalker possible. So, that focus on the product and being able to to, to move on that as, as quickly as you can is something that has served us well. And I don't know, my my, my team is probably tired of hearing me say that because um, you know it, we've never as many times as we as we've released a product, we've never released something too early. We, we've often found that we should have taken this to customers early. We should have gotten feedback more frequently. And so it's a, a lesson you I don't think you could ever fully learn. That's a, a again a kind of a counterintuitive approach uh, to what seems to happen nowadays, where you try to create a market and then the product comes later, and uh, and that hyper focus um, has, I'm sure, not only to your employees feeling comfortable with what they built and getting that feedback, but just 
building your reputation for doing great work and having a quality product and and not just going for that hyper growth at, at any expense. Um, I think that's great advice that uh, uh, for people that are especially on the, um, that are developing products and do it slowly, do it right, and uh, and then put it out there and, and the market will come. Well, it's great, Andy, to hear this story that uh, is just continuing and you guys have a long way to go. I'd uh, be anxious to hear the uh, result of the visioning process that you're going through today and, and what the future holds for you guys. I want to end with these five quick hit questions like the association game, just uh, maybe whatever comes to your mind for these last five questions. Um, can you name a leader that you look up to? Well, yeah, I know I'm, I've kind of referred to him a couple of times here, but I, I just keep going back to uh, Carl Erickson. I, I was introduced to Carl when actually we were fundraising with Plymouth. So another, um, uh, you know, great, great outcome from, from that investment. But Carl was someone who navigated the process that, that I was talking about earlier of going from, you know, engineer to someone who really does a great job of, of telling his company's story and purpose and communicating that to his team and to the world. And so his ability to, to speak about the business and, and why they're building it, you know, what, what Atomic is aiming for in being a, a hundred year software business. I think he's done a, a great job of, of that sort of storytelling. And, and I, I aspire to be a leader who can tell stories like that. Yeah, Carl is a great, very active in the small giants community and mentoring other leaders as well. So that's a great choice. How about a, a great book that influenced your leadership style? I think I, I may have even mentioned this one already too, but uh, um, I, I really uh, appreciate the infinite game. It for for an entrepreneur like myself, who, like I said, is sort of maybe more of an accidental entrepreneur, and um, you know, got into this because. We like the the work of the work rather than um, you know business for business sake. Um, the way that Simon talks about the infinite game and that the the point of of what we're doing here isn't to to win a game but get into shape. And to, the the point of the game is not to win it but to keep playing it. That really connected with me and the, the kind of businesses that I want to be a part of. It's a great one. Uh, do you have an all time favorite movie? Oh, that that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> you know, in COVID, you, you uh, I don't know, for uh, for my wife and I, we just you know, watch so many movies. There's only so much <laughs> you could do sticking around at home. They've all, they all blurred together. Um, I, I really, it, it's an off beaten path. I, I really like, there's a movie called uh, The Brothers Bloom. Um, it's by, directed by Ryan Johnson, who did Brick and a couple of other movies. I, it's a, a nice little sort of story of, of two brothers. And in fact, part of it is a, being a, a great storyteller and, and what you can accomplish as a storyteller. Brothers Bloom. All right. Brothers Bloom. All right. A good one. Um, and since you've been at home with your wife watching a lot of uh, TV, any any TV series you guys like to binge watch? Well, this one's more for me than it is my wife, but I, I really like Fringe. Uh, it was kind of a in some ways like a reboot of X-Files, but uh, it scratches that uh, sci-fi sort of um, monster of the week, um, itch that, uh, that I've got. So that's a good one for, you know, hopping on the exercise bike and, you know, seeing what monsters are up to this week. <laughs> All right. And lastly, what is something about you that many people don't know? Oh, well, so I'll, I'll give the easy answer and I guess people know it cause you mentioned it in my bio, but you know, the, the other hobby I have that, uh, sort of kept me sane while we were starting the business was, was learning to fly little airplanes. And so I guess I shouldn't say that, that most people don't know it. I, I probably talk about it more than I should, but, um, it, it was a blast. It's something that, um, you know, I'm, I'm now the, the president of my local flying club here and you, you meet a whole lot of interesting people when you're in a, uh, a quirky hobby like that one. And uh, it's taught me a lot about uh, how to how to keep learning um, uh, you know, later in life. Yeah, it's a great hobby. My older brother is a private pilot in, as well. So uh, I, I hear lots of stories from him. So good for you. Uh, well, I, I just love hearing your story, Andy. There's just so much more to come. Let me reflect on a couple of things I learned from talking to you today. I, I love just even how you, when you guys started the, the business, I know you guys reunited after working together uh, years before you came back together to start that you had kind of these three areas that you wanted to think about originally to differentiate yourselves, uh, where your software was designed, not so much for the manager that was going to look at data output, but for the person that's really using it, the salesperson. 
that you were very conscious of what the sales process was in companies and particularly small companies. So you could build something customized around that. And even though everybody's doing mobile today, you were probably a little bit ahead of your time to do it uh, that way. I love your just leadership story that, you know, Guy was the original CEO, then you hired an outside CEO when you brought in some capital. And and now you've taken on this role over the last couple of years, uh, originally right before COVID and and through what's just a, a real critical time. And how you mentioned that the, the best way for you to learn is just through the people around you. Uh, I'm sure people on your own team, people outside like Carl that you've continued to talk to. And what's a very common refrain we hear is that, you didn't necessarily uh, approach life or or this this business. Um, you didn't intend to be an entrepreneur. You didn't say, I'm going to go start a business one day, but you were motivated by curiosity. Uh, I, I love that story about how you were homeschooled. Um, all those uh, years that made you independent, self-sufficient, that curiosity uh, was there um, and has stayed with you all this time. I, I also really appreciate the approach that you've had and your and your partners have had all these years to bet on people with potential, not necessarily experience. And in this day and age, that's that's sometimes hard to do. Uh, I guess you could say in this day and age, everybody's just looking for a body, you know, to come in because we're all <laughs> we're all we all just can't find good people. But uh, the fact that you've maintained that discipline to look for people with that same sense of curiosity and passion. Um, knowing that you can teach them the business and to see what their potential is long term, whether it's with you or someone else, is really admirable. You brought in outside capital, which which uh, for bootstrap companies, they don't always do. But you realize that for you to accelerate your growth, take advantage of the opportunity, uh, that that was a risk worth taking. And it seems to have worked out very well where you found good partners that added more than just money to this, but a lot of expertise uh, to it as well. And uh and then, you know, COVID hits right after you become CEO, but it happened at a time when you guys were really hunkering down to add to your product line and get into the email marketing. So it allowed you to do that. And like like many companies, you're still grappling with this. What What's the best configurer for our company going forward? But it seems like you've really built a, an inclusive culture such that you're just listening to employees and what they want. You're showing flexibility. And no matter what that model turns out to be down the road, and even though you guys have been in business since 2009, uh, the where where you want to go as a business is always changing. And so here you are, uh, a number of years into it, going through a more formal process using Zingerman's model to to set that vision for the future and tell that story about where you want to be in five or ten years. And I think that's, uh, again, a process you're doing with your employees, not for them. And uh, that's going to make it even more Im- impactful going forward. I-, I love hearing about your your desire to continue to improve your ability to speak outside of the company, to tell your story, to develop connections outside. And as you continue to build a team that you're confident in, you're going to get more and more comfortable doing that. And lastly, just the advice you you give to young people that are getting in business. And it seems like today where everybody's just rushing to try to uh, throw something together, not worry about profit, you know, cash out early, that you focused laserly on the product. It's like, we're going to put out a quality product and do what it takes and, and not put something out there that we're not proud of and that hasn't received feedback from our customers. Just one of those basics that is really important for people to remember as they they start out in business. So uh, great, great story so far. I look forward to continuing to follow you, Andy, having you involved in the Small Giants community and really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Paul. That, that's a great summary of our conversation. You could just play that uh, last five minutes and, uh, <laughs> and save your audience some time. There. But it, it was great talking to you. Thank you for the, uh, the chance to speak and to share the story and, and well, I guess to practice the storytelling. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. did a great job. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at smallgiantsbuzz. Until next time, 